Hey, dealmakers, welcome to the show where it's all about financial freedom with real estate. Let's do this. You're listening to the Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing podcast, hosted by Garrett Lynch and Michael Blanc, where we talk all about how you can achieve financial independence through apartment building investing. Whether you're just starting out or you want to scale your syndication business, this is the show for you. Our guest today is Derek Sherrill, and he shares his knowledge about how your primary residence can become an income stream, a super interesting strategy called ADUs. I've heard about it, read about it here and there, but he's actually turned into a strategy, and it is pretty cool. It could be your gateway into apartment building. If you can't quite wrap your head around getting an apartment straight away, this would be a very, very nice way to get into real estate. It's like akin to house hacking. Really pretty cool. I think you're really going to enjoy this and get, get your gear spinning out there. Just a reminder that Dealmaker Live is soon upon us. It's on June 1 to 3 in Dallas, Texas, the number one multifamily event of the year. We have over 30 speakers, hundreds of investors you can network with for access to capital, access to deals. Dealmaker Live is really the place to be. So check it out at dealmakerliveevent.com and grab your tickets while you still can. We had a review on Amazon. Amazon user, I guess, anonymous. This is a must-read book if you want a true step-by-step guide to real estate investing. It's the yellow book called Financial Freedom with Real Estate. If you have not read it, you must read it. Same title as this podcast. So if you love this podcast, you're going to have to read that book because it gives you a really good introduction to the world of syndication and shows you how you can overcome the lack of experience and lack of capital. So it's called Financial Freedom with Real Estate. I also want to do a success highlight. Teddy Molman had done his first deal. He closed a 12-unit deal in Denver, Colorado. It was $2.3 million, and he was working with one of our mentors, Barry Flavin. Barry's an interesting guy. He owns far over 1,000 units in a, in a partnership. He is primary investor relations and capital raising guy. And these mentors are just really hard to find. They're very successful, and most of them are perfectly happy and very busy doing deals. And there's a very few number of people who actually want to help others succeed, and Barry is one of them. So if you want to actually work with someone like Barry, we have a whole team of these, these basically they're full-time syndicators. We're the only uh, training company that, that insists on full-time syndicators. Check us out at themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. It's pretty simple. You fill out a short application and you have a call, 20, 30 minute call with one of our advisors. And we call them clarity sessions because you get a lot of clarity about what's important to you. And if we can point you in the right direction into a resource that might help you, we're happy to do so. And again, there's no obligation to do that. It might be a really important call for you. So check it out at themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. One of the things that I want to talk about is you may have seen some in the news that apartment building sales are down 74%. That's the headline, right? And these headlines kill me. I'm like, oh my gosh, I see this headline. Michael, what do you think is headline? I go like, oh no, what's happening? You, you, you dig into it. And you got to understand what's beneath the headline when you talk about these things. And, and unfortunately, you see the headlines and most people don't look beneath the surface. But here, of course, we're going to peel back the onions a little bit and look behind what's behind that. So really, it's referring to not the prices of apartments, but the volume. And the reason is very simple. A year ago, the prices of apartment buildings were at an all-time high. Cap rate, it was an all-time low. March of 2022 was probably the high point. And, and then the Fed announced and started to hike interest rates faster than any time in history. Up until that point, inflation had been ravaging for, I don't know, about a good 12 months. And, and rent started going up and prices started going up. 
And of course, year over year, the volume is down. Why? Because sellers are still up here. They're still expecting 2022 prices, yet the market now is lower, about 10 to 20% lower, depending where you are in the country. The market's lower and the seller's like, oh no, I'm not selling at that price. And so there's this disconnect. We had the same thing happen in COVID, lasted about four or five months, where before COVID, the prices were really high. And then of course, COVID shut it down for about two or three months until things normalized again. And the same thing happened. Volume just went way down and then recovered really quickly as well. So this is why nothing is really trading is because of this disconnect. Also, what happened in COVID was the bridge loans went away literally overnight. That did not happen with the inflation. However, there's been a lot of fear and uncertainty. You can see it in the in the lending market. The lending market, the requirements, criteria has gone up. Also, the Fed for a short period of time actually shrunk their balance sheet, which means that there was less to loan. So therefore, lenders' criteria went up. They lent less. The loan to values went down. And as a result, the market has gone down. Therefore, volume is down. It's very, it's very simple. However, having said that, I think as the interest rates stabilize, which I think we have, interest rates may go up a tiny bit. They may go down a tiny bit. I think they're going to be here for a little while longer, but they're going to stabilize. So you can deal with high interest rates as long as they don't swing wildly up like they did the last 12 months. That is very disruptive, very difficult to underwrite, very difficult to navigate. But once things stabilize as they have now, in my opinion, you're going to see a lot of a lot other things stabilize. You're going to see some of the lending come back. Some of the fear is going to come out of the market. So always look beneath the headlines and really look to see, well, what is it in there? And, and if it doesn't say it in the, in the actual news, ask around, ask us, and, and let's discuss what's really going on behind the scenes. So with that, let's pivot here to our guest today. We're going to talk about ADU, something called accessory dwelling units. If you don't know what it is, it's not a, not a big deal because our guest, Derek Sherrill, is going to talk about what it, talk, what it is and more importantly, how you can turn into a strategy for yourself as you get into, into real estate. Maybe you have some young people, some of your teens who want to get into real estate. Maybe you just can't wrap your head into around buying a larger building. You just want to get into some single family house. I really like this strategy. You'll learn a lot more about this in this interview here. Let's get right into the interview with Derek, also known as That ADU Guy. Derek, welcome to your show today. Hey, I'm glad to be here. Thanks so much for having me. All right, cool. We're going to dive into all into ADUs. And I guess, you know, if no one, if, if, if people listening to us, watching us don't know what that is, well, you're going to find out. Before we get into ADUs, we're, tell us a little bit about your, your background. Yeah, for sure, Michael. So I'm just a normal average person. I always like to start with that, like as normal as you get. I was a fireman by trade. Uh, I started an apprenticeship in the building industry at a really young age, was a kind of a contractor and a fireman for a lot of years, but I knew I didn't want to work forever. So I started building, developing, planning, designing accessory dwelling units. I completed my first unit in 1996 as a high school student. We built an illegal ADU for one of our other high school teachers. And I was just fortunate enough to live in the Northwest in Oregon, where this asset class or housing type was really first to market. And over the years, it's been almost three decades. I've never strayed. I've just gone deeper, not wider. And I'm here to share with your community a really overlooked niche that can help a lot of people in multiple ways. All right. You, you kind of refer to accessory dwelling units as like the the, the secret path to small apartments. <laughs> is, is, what, did you, what did you mean by that? Like, like is in, in general? Well, yeah. So an accessory dwelling unit is 
the A in the acronym is the most important part. So it's accessory to a primary structure. And what we're seeing, Michael, across from coast to coast right now, there's this movement of breaking down single family zoning. It's happened in Oregon. It's happened in California. It's happening in Colorado and New York and Florida and a bunch of other areas legislatively where the states come in and say, hey, cities, counties, you've done an awful job of managing infill development and we're going to tie your hands and allow what we call infill, which is taking urban growth boundaries or city limits and filling in that area before we allow municipalities to sprawl. And the niche play with the accessory dwelling unit is now all of a sudden we're unlocking these single family zones. So think suburbs, think larger lots with big backyards where we already have infrastructure. We've got police departments, sidewalks, streetlights, and we're going to let you build and infill these bigger lots, if you will. So what we're getting is a really high demand, low supply products. So when I think two bedroom, two bath, or one bedroom, one bath, most people, I'm sure yourself included, are going to think apartments, multifamily, shared wall, side wall, above wall, over under. And what we're doing with the ADU is we're able to build these standalone detached units that are super high demand, low supply in single family neighborhoods, which no offense to big apartment folks, we need downtown areas for density, but the more desirable places to live often are where the densities are a little bit less. So that's kind of the the gist of it. Interesting. Okay, so so the idea is that you're building a, a small, well, a, a smaller house or a house even two bedroom, two bath, detached in someone's backyard. Is, is that is that basically what you're allowed to do? And correct. And, and so- yeah, one, multiple in, in in some cases. So for years, an ADU was one accessory dwelling unit. You could think of it as a guest house or a mother in law cottage or a you know a, a granny flat. There's a, a lot of words for them. But now what we're seeing is with densities increasing, we're we're seeing a lot of states like California, for example, where you can build multiple. A lot of jurisdictions in our state, you can build multiple. So it's not just one small cottage in the backyard. It could be buying a lot and adding three or four units onto that lot. So you're taking a single family house that was specifically designated for a single family zone for the last 50 years. And now we're able to infill that lot with up to, you know, four or five or six or eight units, depending on how we can use the code. Can they be connected or are they, they have to be attached or could it be a combination? No, no any configuration. So I kind of break ADUs okay. down into a few categories. So we, we have convertible ADUs, which is where you take a section of the house, say you buy a four, three and you convert the master into a one, one, and then you would have an attached shared wall three, two. We can do basement conversions. We can do attic conversions. We can do bump out ADUs where we add on to a house. And then the, the, the bread and butter that, that we use is the new built standalone detached ADU, but they can be in any configuration. You can think of them as an over under apartment, a side by side or standalone. If you want to work with a full-time syndicator to help you get up to speed faster, get your first deal done this year, and scale your portfolio so you can quit your job, then check out our mentoring program. It's at themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. It's the only program out there that actually guarantees results. That's right. We actually guarantee that you do your first deal in the first year. Otherwise, we'll keep working with you. And set up a, a strategy session call and explore whether it's right for you. It's themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. Now, typically with new construction projects, the permitting and sometimes even zoning can be very challenging. Now, you're saying legislatively they're being encouraged by certain states and jurisdictions. What is involved in some of these areas if you want to maybe build an ADU or let's say two or three? What is the general process 
that you have to go through to get permission to do that? A great question. So the answer to that always, every time, no matter where you're at, is become an expert in your local zoning code. And when I say become an expert in your local zoning code, you don't need to go study and get a degree. It means call your local authority having jurisdiction, ask them if they allow ADUs, and if so, to please send you the language that you have to follow. Most cities and states that I I represent people and all over the country, and most of the time when I'm reading code for an accessory dwelling unit, it's five pages or less. So get the ordinance and read it. And what is happening and what we're seeing legislatively, again, is this is is becoming a buy right use. So for years, you had to pretend like you weren't building a house. It was just going to be a storage unit. And then you would put this kitchen in later. Now we, we don't do that. We come in and we say, hey, we're building this second dwelling. It's a buy right over the counter allowable use with a simple building permit. It used to be maybe a type two or type three land use planning review and you need a conditional use permit. Today, that's not the case. It's just like you know, swapping out a faucet or getting a permit to build a garden shed. So it's really simple in a lot of areas. There are some states and some municipalities that aren't fully on board. That's why you have to become an expert in your local zoning code. And just to tie onto that real quick, it's not always about the hassle of developing your own. I tell people right now, even myself building ADUs for almost 30 years, my favorite path to an ADU is to buy one. So we have all this competition in the duplex, triplex, quadplex market for normal residential zoning and people that want a house hack. You're stacking yourself against a lot of odds if you're looking for one of those products, but you can go buy a primary house with an ADU. It's not going to bump you up into that 15 or 20% down payment outside of an FHA loan. And you can get into a house with an ADU, show up to the closing table with 30-year fixed rate debt, and be well on your way to your multifamily investing career. People just don't know about it yet. So who is this? Who should consider this kind of strategy, right? I mean, I I, I love this kind of thing. The house hacking you hear a lot, a lot. It's a great way to get into real estate. It's easy. People understand it. They kind of live there for free. But who should consider doing this? Everybody, everybody. Period. Everybody should be considering at least evaluating their primary residence every year. You can become a multimillionaire in ten years simply by moving once a year with a conventional five percent down payment. The one argument I get from folks, especially on the higher end of the success scale is, well, it's not scalable. I I wouldn't need to do that. And big names, I can tell you these are the top names in real estate. I could drop their names that have told me that personally. And then I ask them where their nanny lives or where their assistant lives. And they all have ADUs. So it works for everybody. The people that say it's not scalable, they have a couple of them on their ranch. The people that say, oh, I would never do that, have one that their nanny lives in. So It makes sense for everybody. My life's work really, Michael, is capitalism with compassion. So not only are we building a product that's in high demand and low supply that people need, it's also the one of the most affordable options because of the scalability and because it's smaller. It's not cheaper per square foot than building a house, but because these units are small, it does make them more affordable. And that's where all this legislation is coming from, is trying to solve these housing crises by simply making it easier to add supply. Yeah, it does address the affordable housing problem simply by taking land that already exists and putting something that's more affordable in there, like almost like a tiny house in someone's backyard. I I love that part of it. And you talked about, you know, evaluating your own primary residence for an ADU as well. If I did want to scale it a little bit more, you said you could move around once a year, you could move and still just repeat it and hold on to what you're putting it. So house hacking, but then selling it, holding it on. Is there any path for trying to scale that a little bit more? Like, could I turn into a strategy where I'm buying houses for the specific purpose of building ADUs 
And in other words, if I did want to scale a little bit more, what would that look like? Yeah, it would look the same way, only you wouldn't occupy them. You would just buy only houses that have infill development potential, period. That's it. Zoning is not getting any looser. They're not making any more land. I would encourage every, I do encourage every investor that I know to only buy a property that has infill potential. That may not be put an ADU on it. It may be buy a, a large lot in an area that's getting up zoned. So you can do minor land partitions and split it up. That's one way to scale it. A lot of what I do is, is taking land use planning code and using it to our advantage to add housing. Another way, and they're doing it all over in California right now with some Senate bills, SB8 and SB9, and it's allowable in Oregon and it's coming to a state near you. So just watch what Oregon and California are doing. They're not only allowing you to build multiple accessory dwelling units on a single primary residence, they're also allowing you to split them off fee simple, fee simple lot partitioning. So you can you can buy a house that's on a half acre that nobody wants, that's market rate or higher, and you build two ADUs, you split those off and you sell those. So you're able to buy a property with one house and turn it into three tax lots that you can sell. So that's what a that's lot of people crazy. are doing right now in California. That's the biggest play. And there's a lot of money being thrown at this. Big, big money. There's other options to scale with some of these manufactured or offsite modular units. So as an investor, you could just be buying single family houses because the commercial market is taking a beating right now. Again, we're looking for these maybe nicer areas, you know, maybe farther out of town with more green space. And we're able to turn single family lots into multifamily lots with this strategy. And that is scalable. So those are a couple of ways that I see bigger investors with more capital deploying into this asset class. Interesting. So what what should one look for in buying a house for ADUs? Is any anything that I mean, you heard you say, study the zoning, obviously, and, and you want to buy in the right place that's conducive to where the zone correctly, obviously. Is there anything that you're looking for when you're, you're trying to maximize the potential profit when you're buying a house and you want to build one or more ADUs? What should yeah. someone look for? Or can you just buy anything and, and no. just make it work? No, no, no. Wonderful question. So there's the obvious things like make sure that it's a city or state that allows accessory dwelling units or other infill strategies. We kind of like to look for this is a broad statement, but you're looking for maybe blue areas of red states where you know they're very development friendly, but there's good landlord tenant laws. On a more micro level, like what should the lot be? We like flat lots. We like lots that have alley access. I mean, terrain is huge. A flat lot is going to save you so much money compared to a slope. Another thing that I personally am always looking for is, is 75 and newer. In the mid to late 70s, we pretty much switched from concrete and cast and galvanized to ABS and copper, PVC. We've got better sewer lines. We've got better drain lines. We have better electrical services. So a lot of what I do is really honing in on the infrastructure as a developer. So we're not just looking at the property and the backsplash and the schools. We're looking at what kind of infrastructure are we going to have to replace this whole new sewer line? Are we going to have to put in a fire hydrant if we add three units here? So it's it's those those are the big ones, you know, flat lots, good utilities, newer infrastructure, alley access. Yeah, alley access. So yeah, yeah, you need to access to the place, especially if you're trying to subdivide it, right? You, if you're going to put something in the backyard, you need to be able to get to it. Is that what you mean by alley access? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we can always do flag lots, and there's always shared access agreements. You know, you can always drive through the front of the lot to get to the new back lot you created. The nice thing about a flag lot is you can have separate accesses from separate streets. You can put a fence up between the lot, 
And even if you're keeping them like, which is my strategy, people don't even know they're on the same lot because they're, they're entering from, you know, a few minutes away from a different direction. So it's just really nice for demarcation. Interesting. Another thing about the alley is say you have a a 20 foot front setback for your house and a 10 foot side setback and a 20 foot rear setback. Well, if you're on an alley many times in many codes, they reduce that setback to almost nothing. So if it was the front of the house, you'd have to be 20 yards or 20 feet away from the front setback. If it's on an alley, you can almost build right up to it in most cases. And that's a huge advantage as we're trying to maximize land. Give us an idea of how much it costs to build these ADUs and then roughly, you know, what the cash flow you can expect from, from one of these things, profitability. Yeah, great. So an average person in an average market could expect to pay around $225 a square foot for a new standalone unit. Conversion units, if you're going to convert your basement or your detached garage, start at $100 a square foot and go up from there. I'm currently building and developing new standalone accessory dwelling units in the Pacific Northwest for $100 a square foot. But I'm insane. I work dark to dark. I've been doing this for a long time. It's the only thing in the world I'm good at, and I'm really good at it. And that's how I'm able to build so affordably. And I don't say that to brag. I just want to share with people what's possible if you really, really focus and you stay focused for a lot of years, you can you can whittle any strategy down to a complete science. And that's what we've done with our units. So anywhere from $100 a square foot to $225 a square foot and up. And then you can always expect, if you don't over-design and over-build, which a lot of people do, you can always expect you know, the 1% rule any day of the week, you know, times two. I mean, a lot of these we're making 30, 40, 50, 60% on. So it's just... The baseline would always be 1%. All of your listeners obviously know how to underwrite a deal and know what that means, but your cap rate on this is going to be really, really good. And the other thing that I talk to investors about is it's not comparable to a lot of things you can go buy unless you're buying new build to rent because these are brand new. So the CapEx is non-existent for the first 20 years. It's in a good area. So you're going to get really good tenants. You're going to have less management time and costs. So the return on the investment, especially if you can use some leverage, is really high. It's not for everybody, but it's definitely something that everybody should understand, especially as zoning gets compressed and we do more and more infill across the country. You just mentioned leverage. So I assume you can get financing for an ADU as well? Yeah. Yeah. There's several ways to get financing. I talk about the financial stack. I I tell people if it works in your market, finance it by any means possible. And I'll I'll caveat that with it costs the same amount of money about approximately to build an ADU in Aspen, Colorado, as it does in the crappiest town and the crappiest state you can think of. I'm not going to pick on Bakersfield, California or anybody, but if if you're doing it, make sure you do it in an area where there's high demand and high rents. But the funding streams, you know, I always tell people if you can build it with cash, build it with equity. There's a couple of good companies. One of them is Renify, and they'll actually lend you 100% of the appraised value before you build it based on your lendability. They have a 20 year fixed second credit unions. I always tell people go, go wherever you can for the money, start as close as you can to your circle, you know, your friends and family, if you need to, there's the applicable federal rate IRS loan that you can get from a family member that doesn't qualify as a gift that has a super low rate. Go to your local bank and credit union that's known you for 20 years, see what kind of product they have. But if it's unsecured, there are a few companies that will lend hundred percent of the value of the unbuilt ADU. I just always tell folks don't over-design and overbuild. 
So when you build an ADU, does it actually increase your property? Let's assume that you're not subdividing. Obviously, you're subdividing, then obviously it has standalone value. But let's say you build a two-bedroom, two-bath in, in the you know backyard, let's say. You know, your house was appraised at $500,000 and you build a $200,000 house in there. If you were then to sell it, mm-hmm. would you be able to get your money out of it? Or is it like building a pool when you're, you know, you may or may not get the money out of it? In other words, does it really increase the value of their property for what you put into it? Yes, most of the time. And the exceptions to that, yes, are if you're in an area that there are not a lot of ADUs, there's not a lot of cost sales comparison approach, you may not get full value out. My rule of thumb, based on all my years of experience, is this. If you design and build your ADU to the same quality and finishes as the primary house and the neighborhood, in other words, if the average house in your neighborhood is $400 a square foot, shoot for that. Don't build a $600 a square foot ADU you should be able to capture 75% of that conservatively day one appraisal boom. So in your example of a $500,000 house with a seven, you know, $200,000 ADU and you got divorced and had to sell it the day after you got the certificate of occupancy, could you get seven for it? Yes, you could probably get pretty close, but worst case scenario, you'd get 650. That's it. That's if you design and build to the primary house in the neighborhood standard. But a lot of people don't. And I throw that in there a lot because not many people get a chance to build their design and build their own custom house. So you get price creep really quick. So don't get an emotional attachment to the design and the build. Keep it affordable. Keep it simple. That doesn't mean that it's not nice and custom. Just don't over design and overbuild because then you're going to overspend and you're going to scream when your appraisal comes in low. If you're in an area like California or Portland, Oregon or Vancouver, BC, or Austin, Texas, where they're selling like hotcakes and the appraiser, appraisers have lots of data, it wouldn't be uncommon to to well design and well build an ADU for 200 and it adds $300,000 of value to the property. But most cases, if you do this, deploy this strategy, you're not going to want to sell because it's going to be a cash cow. I see. Yeah. So Derek, you say you've been doing this a long time. Why is that? What do you love about this strategy? There's so many different things you could do. Why why you love this strategy so much? You know, that's a great question. And and out of all the interviews I've done and all the years I've been talking about this, by the way, I've been talking about this for 28 years and nobody's listened until the last few. But I don't think anybody's ever really asked me that directly. It's just my art. I grew up with a single mom, poor, moving around apartment to apartment. We never had our own house. I was always like building tree forts outside of our apartment complex. And there was something about like this small kind of detached homey structure that I liked. And I was in high school, like I said, my woodshop teacher handpicked a group of us. We thought we were special. Really, he just saw us going nowhere. He took us under his wing and he said, I'm going to teach you guys this construction technology. And he started this class for us delinquents. And we built this illegal ADU for another one of our teachers. And I kind of fell in love with that concept of, of this small house, building housing, again, coming from I wouldn't say housing insecure, but just coming from a kid living in apartments, moving around that never had his own house. I knew in my heart after we built that when I was 15 and a half years old that I could do this and I was going to make a difference and I wasn't going to stop. And I've never gone into manufactured home parks. I don't buy commercial. I don't do large multifamily. This is all I've ever done. And as long as I love it, like I love it today, like I would do this for free. And that's why I've just stayed in it. You know, it's just this niche that that caught me and it's turned into advocacy work. I teach at the ADU Academy. I teach realtors. There's a lot of outreach too. So that's again, why I call it capitalism with compassion. I mean, my, my way is paid by my rentals because I build these and hold them. I've never sold a house. I just keep collecting them. And 
the root of the story is because I believe in housing and this is one of the easiest ways to produce it, I think. I love it. Derek, how can people connect with you and find out more about you and ADUs? Yeah, I'd say I'm most active probably on Instagram, that ADU guy. You can check me out at thataduguy.com. I do consultations all over the country. I've got a socialistic sliding scale. I work with first-time home buyers for free. A lot of the consult work I do is for free to help people like me that grew up with no money. Nobody talked about money because there was none of it and there was guilt and shame. So I help them for free and I have a homeowner rate and then I have a higher investor rate. But I usually just encourage people to go watch all my content. I've got a clunky little YouTube channel where I share everything I'm doing. Right now we're building two ADUs. We're trying to do both of them start to finish in 90 days. And I'm putting a video out every week of our process of, of like literally me on the excavator, cutting the pad or standing up walls. We're building this thing. So most of what I do, I just give away on Instagram and YouTube. You can find me there. That number on the top of my website, thataduguy.com, that's that's this number. So if you call it, a lot of people call me three or four times a week, I'll get a call and they say, Derek, I didn't think you were going to answer. And I'm like, yeah, how can I help you? So I just tell people, if you call my number, like be ready to take action. I love it. You're a crazy guy, Derek. I love it. Really enjoyed this interview. Thanks so much. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, I hope you found it as fascinating as I, as I did. I mean, on the one hand, you got to be careful with what I call shiny objectitis. There's so many different strategies out there and you don't even know what to start. And so you start one thing, you know, like, oh, that's pretty cool. And then you pivot and you start something else. Don't do that because it's, you, you, you have to actually focus on something and make one particular strategy a stick without trying a bunch of different strategies. However, having said that, in the beginning, as you're trying to figure out what strategy is best for you, this could be one of those strategies you put into your toolbox, right? Single family house investing in that category, right? You got turnkeys, you just got your, you got your own rental, you got short-term rentals, which is kind of different here. You got the house hacking thing, right? When you buy a duplex and you live in one, you rent out the other, uh, and now you have ADUs. And it really depends on where you are and what market you're investing in. You look around and go, like, what can work here best? So, so Derek mentioned some of these markets, and if you're in one of these markets that's trying to make housing more affordable in some of those markets he talked about, and there's this a thing, then it could be one of those things where if you want to get into single family house investing, this could be one of the things you do for once or two or three times until, until you get more comfortable with apartment buildings, right? I don't, it's not necessary that you do that. I always say you can get right into apartment building investing. In fact, if you have not seen it yet, we actually have put out a free masterclass called Apartments 101. It's a great introduction into the world of apartment syndications. You can find it at apartments101.co. So check it out because you can, in fact, get into apartment buildings without getting in a single family house investing. However, there's a good portion of you are like, ah, Michael, I don't buy it. You know, I really need to dip my toe in there. Then this could be one of those things to consider. So hopefully you found that very, very useful. If you have some money to invest, this could be a great way to get into landlording game as well. Speaking of money, investing money, if you are interested in alternative investment classes, such as multifamily syndications, we'd love to have a conversation with you. Our investment firm is called Nighthawk Equity. We're at nighthawkequity.com. And we'd love to have a conversation with you. So if that describes you, then go to nighthawkequity.com and just fill out a quick short, short form and we'll have that conversation with you. There's always ways to make money. You just got to pick the right path. And as interesting as ADUs are, my argument is still apartment buildings are the best way to get into not only real estate, but financial freedom and the fastest, most reliable way for the broadest type of personalities out there. So hopefully check out apartments101.co and get into that masterclass. And then we'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening. 
Take the next step toward financial freedom by checking out our Freedom Vault, where you can find free resources to help you with apartment building investing. Whether you're an active investor just starting out or looking to scale your syndication business or looking to invest passively, head over to themichaelblanc.com vault to gain access to our Freedom Vault.